Hi, this is Marcus, and I just want to welcome you to the Timbers Church Podcast. We're excited that you're here. One of the things that we aim to do is to add some value to your life, to your family, to our community, and our world. We do so by exploring the truths that come from God's Word. So start the journey with us and hit subscribe and check out this podcast every week. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Good morning, Timbers family, specifically you dads, because today is Father's Day, so we want to wish you a happy Father's Day. I hope everybody watching today is finding themselves doing well. Today is one of those days that I'm excited about simply because I happen to be a dad, and so I'm excited about that. I'm also excited because it's Sunday and I get to share with you, but uh, Father's Day is a lot like Mother's Day in the sense for a pastor, it's always a little bit tricky to figure out what you're going to talk about. And the reason why, at least for me, is because I feel like there's this almost expectation that you're going to talk specifically to one group of people, right? Mother's Day, you got to talk to the mamas, right? Uh, Father's Day, got to talk to the daddies. But yet there's all these other people that are going to be tuning in to the message. And so I just feel like it's it's oftentimes easier to have a truth that applies to that indiv- the, the, the individuals that find themselves as dads, fathers. Uh, but also have a truth that applies to everybody. And so today, as uh, we're diving into a a talk right here, right now, I have it specifically designed to be something that applies to dads. We're going to talk about influence. And as a dad, you have a lot of influence, influence over your family, influence over your kids. And that is some important influence, right? Hopefully you do that and do that well. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But then we're also going to talk about influence and how it really affects everybody. So today's message is for everybody. But dads, just know that you can most definitely pull something specific for yourselves out of this talk today. So I'm excited about it. I hope you're excited about it. That being said, let's get out our Bibles, our B-I-B-L-E, and let's open it up to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, and that's where we're going to be at to kick things off. Uh, Also, I encourage you to get out a notebook and to take notes, write things down. It just sort of sinks it in a little bit deeper, helps you have something to look back upon. Later on in your life, all of a sudden, you're going through a notebook and you find your notes and you're like, wow, this is speaking to me today. So it makes the message and what you get from the message actually have a greater impact than just this moment here today. That being said, if you are taking notes, why don't you write up at the top, write no limits, no limits, part one. That is right. This is part one, and that means we are kicking off a new series today, and we're calling it No Limits, part one. All right, you guys ready? Exodus chapter three, we're going to dive right into God's word, our text, and we're going to read verse one through 10. It says this, it says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angels of the Lord appeared to him in flames from fire from from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush is does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here am I. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. When he said that, then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hittites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Let's stop there and let's pray. Will you pray with me? God, we just thank you for being here with us where we are, in our room, in our our bedroom, in our house, in our living room, at our kitchen table, wherever it is. We thank you that you are here, that you are present. And so we want to invite you into this message today to speak clearly to us. We pray, Father God, that you open our ears to hear, open our eyes to see, and open our minds that we might understand and soften our hearts so that we'll be able to receive all that you speak and then give us the strength and the courage to put all that you speak into action because, God, we don't want to just be hearers of your word, God. We want to be doers. So I pray, Father God, that you will help Timbers Church to be your church. I pray this in Jesus' mighty, powerful name. And everybody said, no matter where you are today, amen and amen. I believe this. I believe this. I believe that the world needs the church to lead to lead right now. I believe that the world has always needed the church to lead. We are the church and we need a lead. I believe that we as the church need to literally speak up and let the world hear our voices. I believe that we as the church need to be leading the way right now. I believe that we as the church need to be using our influence. Now, what is that? What is influence, right? What kind of influence do we, the church, have. When when people listen to you and then they respond to what you have said, that is influence. Why? Because they heard you say something and they did the thing that you said. So you influenced them. You had influence on their lives. And here is the thing about influence. Influence can be good or it can be bad, right? Think about that. I mean, if you have kids, if you are a parent, right, you watch your kids and you watch who hangs around your kids. If you go to the park, you're noticing who's playing with your kids. If you have uh, somebody come over to your house, if you let them go over to somebody else's house when it comes to extended family, when it comes to all these influences at church, there's so many different places that people have influence on their lives, right? It could be their peers, It could be their brothers or sisters. It could be an uncle or an aunt. It could be uh, an adult, uh, a coach, a teacher. I mean, the list goes on and on for the people that can influence your lives. And you watch very closely who those people are. Why? Well, because you know that those people that have influence around your kids, well, you want to make sure that it's good. You want to make sure that if there is a negative influence that is being directed at your kids, that you can do your best to sort of cut that off or at least lessen it and make sure that the influences that your kids are getting are more positive than negative. In the same way where you care about the influences that are being directed at your kids, the truth of the matter is you too have influence. You might not see yourself as somebody who has a tremendous amount of influence in somebody else's life, but the truth of the matter is you have a lot of it. 
Because you have relationships and relationships equal influence. If you took some time to really sit down and examine your life and think about all the different relationships that you have currently in your life, you're going to begin to realize that you have literally influence that has no limits because of all the relationships. You got your 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 husband and your wife, you got your your extended family, your parents, you got your kids, you got all these family dynamic relationships. Then you have the relationships at work, you got your neighbors, you got you got all these relationships and so there is influence potential that has no limit for yes, even you. And those relationships that you have pave a way for you to be able to affect somebody else's life for the positive or for the negative. The question is, how will you use that influence? Oftentimes, we don't want to put a lot of thought into this. We don't want to think about it too much because the truth of the matter is it's hard to see ourselves through that lens. We don't see ourselves as somebody of influence. But let's take a moment and let's put on our imaginations caps and let's just imagine for a moment. Let's say that you are at home in your room or in your living room, but you're at home alone. There's nobody else with you. It's just you and you're at home and you're just doing your daily things that you do. And uh, all of a sudden, let's say that God shows up. He shows up like he showed up to to Moses, maybe not in the form of fire, but he shows up and he begins to speak directly to you. He calls you by name, right? You feel his presence and and, and it's like, okay, he's speaking to me. He's called me by my my name and and, and I got to pay attention to what he's going to say. And what he says to you is this. Let's say that God shows up, calls you by name and then says to you, hey, and he calls you by name. It's time for you to use your influence for me. I mean, what a moment that would be. It's like all of a sudden, just hearing an audible voice. I've never heard an audible voice from God, so that's sort of a a special moment in and of itself. But not only did he use your name in an audible voice, but then he says to you, it is time for you to use your influence for me. What a special moment. I think for me personally, if that happened, because I've never had an audible voice speak to me before like that from God, uh, I think I'd be a little bit scared, a little bit freaked out, and chances are you would too, right? We'd be freaked out. Why? Because we're hearing an audible voice. That's a little bit freaky. But on top of that, what the voice is saying to us is also freaky. The voice is saying that it is time for you to use your influence for me. If God said that to you, to me, we would freak out, and we'd probably fall into one of three camps. Camp number one, would be us just sort of saying, hey, I don't have what it takes, God. I don't have what it takes. I don't know if I'm up for that kind of challenge or that kind of next step. God, I, I don't think you understand who I am. I think you're underestimating the level of my influence because the truth of the matter is I don't have enough. I don't have enough of it. I'm not gonna make any influence. And so I think you got the wrong guy right? That's camp number one. And many of us would probably fall into that camp, but there is another camp. The other camp is this. You, you, you would probably sit there and say, man, I don't know if I want this. I don't know if I want this. Because if you were honest with yourself, you do see yourself as somebody of influence. You know that you have some influence, but it gets a little bit uncomfortable when God is telling you to use that influence for him. Because the truth of the matter is you've worked hard to get your influence. And the last thing that you want to do is lose the influence that you've worked so hard to get. 
You don't want everybody at work or everybody around the world to look at you as one of those Jesus freaks or one of those religious people or, you know, like that just doesn't seem like a wise move to go down that road and use that influence in that way. Because like, so you just sit there and you're like, man, I just don't know if I want this guy. I appreciate you acknowledging that I have influence, but I just don't know if I want this. The third camp I see us falling into is a camp where we say, I don't know if I'm qualified for this. I don't know if I'm qualified for this. I can't be used by God in this way. The truth of the matter is I have all this sin in my life. I've been trying to get over these sin issues in my life for a long time, but I keep getting tripped up and and I just don't know if if I am uh, qualified for this. I, I actually feel I'm disqualified because of my sin issues. You know, until I get my life in order, until I'm actually living my life like Jesus, you know, told me to or modeled for me, I don't feel like I could be that guy. I'm disqualified. Three camps. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you feel like you are falling into one of those three camps, today's for you. This message is for you. And who knows? Maybe this is the moment that's going to change everything for you. Maybe today's talk, maybe this talk is literally going to be the day that changes everything for you. And from this day forward, you begin to realize that I have to and I need to and I will start using my influence for my God. I hope and I pray that that will be the case. So are you ready to get back to our text to dive back into this thing and sort of pick it apart a little bit? It's all about this guy by the name of Moses. Moses is really, you know, quite the guy. He's sort of a celebrity of the Bible. He's one of the famous people of the Bible, right? So if you hang around church too long, you're going to hear a lot of us talking about Moses, okay? He was a big deal. Now, he's one of the, the people in the Bible that we come to quite quickly because you got Genesis, Exodus, second book of the Bible is where he shows up, okay? And so it's pretty quick that he comes into the picture. And not only does he come into the picture, but he comes into the picture as a baby. (laughs) That's crazy. We're going to start at the very beginning of his life. And so when he enters the picture in Exodus, what we see is he is actually born a Hebrew slave living in Egypt. Okay? So he comes into the world with no influence, right? Comes into the world as a little baby, a little slave baby in Egypt. Egypt at the time had become this great empire, one of the great empires of the world. And, and, and the way that they had become such a great empire was by using the slaves that they had, these Hebrew slaves, to literally build all these pyramids and all this empire. It was an incredible, incredible place. And the king of that land would have been a guy that they called their pharaoh. Pharaoh was the top dog leader. And, and he he started to notice that as great as it was to have the Hebrew slaves doing all this building, he also noticed that they were multiplying quite quickly. And as their numbers began to grow, and there, it was like, this is a good thing because it gives us more a, a, a larger workforce to build all our stuff, but it's also a dangerous thing because as they get more and more of them, what happens if all of a sudden they revolt and they, they, they fight against us? They might take us over and take our land. And so Pharaoh, seeing the threat of the multiplication of the Hebrew people, he all of a sudden, with the snap of a finger, wakes up one day and says, it's time for a new law. And he literally puts a law in the books where the very next day the law was there. And the law was simply this, that the, every newborn baby born to an Israelite, born to the Hebrew people, must be put to death. So you have one day where you're multiplying, having babies, your wife's pregnant. 
All of a sudden, the very next day, boom, new law, babies all got to die. Any male baby born, boom, dead. You want to talk about having the issues with your government, we complain about our government right now. We got no issues compared to what the Hebrew people were going through, right? I mean, here they are, and all of a sudden, boom, all their firstborn child or, or, or male ch children are being executed, put to death. And this is the world that Moses was born into. In order to save his life, his mother did something quite crazy. She, she took the little baby and put him in a basket and then floated him down the Nile River. To stop and think about that and how crazy that is for a moment, a river, a river has current. And a basket doesn't seem like the best thing to put a baby in and then put it into a river. This isn't like a small little calm river. I mean, like this is the Nile River we're talking about. And that means that there's a good chance with the current that that basket could flip. And because it's a baby, the baby's probably not going to be able to swim, right? That means the baby drowns. Seems like a bad way to go if you're a baby, right? On top of that, you gotta you gotta consider like the Nile River, man. They had hippos and crocs. <laughs> hippos kill more people than like uh, I, the stats are crazy high. Like I mean, Charles, back me up on this, right? Like hippos are dangerous. Crocs, we all know are dangerous, but both of them are dangerous, and they're all over the place, right? And so all of a sudden, you're sitting here, and you have a mother and a father that are sitting here and saying, you know what, we've hid this baby in our house as long as we could, but now we think that it's going to have, a, Moses is going to have a better chance with the hippos and the crocs and the current of the Nile River than staying in our own home. And so they put him in the basket, and they float him away. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty messed up. It's very messed up. But as little baby Moses floats away and floats down river, he floats straight into a place that Pharaoh's daughter was. And Pharaoh's daughter, she sees the Baskins, she sees this cute little baby, and, and you know how cute little babies are, you know, especially with, with, with a young girl like that hasn't had any of her own yet. She's, she's sitting there and she's like, man, this thing is so beautiful. Like, he's so cute. I, man, I, you know what? I think I'm going to raise him as my own, right? And she is, well, she's the princess, so she gets to do what she wants. And so you want to talk about a story change, right? This is a story change right here. Here we have a, a little baby, sla a slave baby, Moses, right? He, he's literally born as a slave with a bounty on his head. And all of a sudden, immediately, within a moment, he becomes Egyptian royalty. That's a pretty good day for Moses, right? But here's, here's the thing. As you fast forward the story, as he grows into being an adult, he literally has all the privilege of living in the palace, of being a prince. But one day, he notices a Hebrew slave being beaten by an Egyptian. And Moses was aware that he belonged to the Hebrew people. He was just fortunate, right? He got lucky, right? And so as he sees the Egyptian beating the Hebrew slave, he gets angry and he starts to rage and he goes out there and he kills the Egyptian. And Pharaoh finds out about it. And Pharaoh gets a little bit upset. Not just a little bit upset, he decides that Moses needs to die. And so he begins to look for Moses, and Moses is forced to literally flee for his life into the desert. He ends up hiding out in a town called Midian. And that is the place where he finds a girl, and he gets married to the girl, and they have a son of their own. And uh, he settles down becoming a shepherd taking care of his father-in-law's sheep or goats or whatever they were, right? So he went from prince, well, he went from slave baby to prince to back to being a nobody on the run, hiding for his life in what felt like overnight. The goal as he was out 
as a shepherd with his new life, the goal for him was to keep a low profile. <laughs> there was a bounty on his head, right? He didn't want to be found. And so he was just gonna decided, you know, this is my life now. I'm going to hide out here and I'm just going to live it out in the desert. I'm getting comfortable with this new idea of just living a life that's anom- anonymous. I have a wife. I have a son. We're building a family. We're happy. We're safe. We got our picket fence out here in the desert, you know, our white picket fence. Our dream might not be Prince anymore, but like, hey, our circle is small and we're happy and the world's problems, the mess out there, it's not our problems. So let's just live this out. That's where he's at. And then all of a sudden, God shows up into the picture. You got to love it when God shows up, right? God shows up and flips his whole world upside down. So before we get back to the text that we read today, I want you to think about your reasons that you identified why maybe you have a tendency not to fully use your own influence for him. Okay? What was it? Was it because you don't have what it takes? Is it because I don't know if I want to use it? Is it because you feel like you're just not qualified? Which camp did you fall into? Regardless of what camp you fell into, I think that it's important that we all take a moment to think about where Moses would have fallen. I mean, Moses was a murderer on the run. He had killed somebody, and he was running for it. He was in hiding because of it. He was also hated by the Egyptians, right? Because he killed one of the Egyptians. Here they had given him everything. They had let him be a prince. They had let him have all like the high-rolling life of being in the palace, right? And he went out and literally betrayed them by killing one of their own, and then he ran. So the, the Egyptians hate him. But not only did the Egyptians hate him, the Hebrews hated him as well. Why? Because the Hebrews saw Moses get plucked out of being a slave and being a prince in the high roller life. And that's not very cool, right? They didn't like that too much. Along with that, he goes out and tries to do, do something on behalf of the Hebrew people by killing an Egyptian. But the Hebrews say, why'd you do that? Because then all you did was take off and run. And now Pharaoh, because he can't find you and kill you, he's decided to make our workload all the more strenuous. So you've made our lives much worse. So he's hated by the Egyptians. He's hated by the Hebrews. He's a murderer that's on the run and living in hiding. He's become a nomad shepherd that doesn't even have his own flock. He has to take care of his father's flock living out in the middle of nowhere. So his social circle was not a social circle that had influence. It was quite small. He was related to everybody within his circle of influence. And so you think about where Moses was, and then you think about the fact that this is the guy that God chose to go after. God chose to show up. If God was willing to pursue Moses and use Moses in the way that he used Moses, I think that it would be safe to say that God would be willing to use you. I just think that's true. All right, back to our text. Let's get back to our text. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. Let's just talk about it here real quick. In in the first three verses, what do we see? We see that Moses is out tending his father-in-law's sheep, right? He's out in the middle of the wilderness. Not his flock, but his father-in-law's flock. So he has nothing. Nothing belongs to him, right? He's at a low, right? And, And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord shows up to him in the form of fire. That's a little bit freaky. A bush. A bush was surrounded with flames, and it's not burning up, okay? That's a little bit weird, if we're honest, right? When's the last time you've seen a bush that's on fire, but yet it's not burning up? Moses should have done one of two things here, if you stop and think about it. 
He should have won, figured out if he had ate a mushroom that he shouldn't have ate, right? He might have been tripping. <laughs> That's just the hard reality of it, right? Like, did I did I have something that I shouldn't have had here? The second thing he should have done is probably turn around and run, right? I mean, this is a little bit freaky. Like, I need to get out of here. That's probably what he should have done, but he didn't do either of those th things. Instead, what he did here was he says, I need to go check out this bush. I need to see why this bush is not burning up. All right, that gets us to verse four. If we look at verse four again, it says this. It says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Here, here's the deal. This is a really big deal and we can't skip over this. Because Moses, remember, is a nomad, shepherd, ex-murderer, on the run, hiding for his life. And yet, God knew exactly where he was at that very exact moment. Not only did God know where he was, but God used his name, called him by name. God had never given up on Moses. God had never forgot about Moses. And God is never going to forget about you. He's not. He's not. All right, so that's important. We got to catch that. Then we get to verse five and six, and we see another really big deal. We see things start to get real. Things are getting real. God begins to literally speak to Moses because he said, here I am. And so God says this to Moses. He says, you need to take off your sandals, right? Because the place where you are is holy ground. The place where you're standing is holy ground. And so God then, after Moses removes his sandals, then begins to introduce himself to Moses. I am the God of Abraham, uh, 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 Jacob, Isaac, and, and he goes through the list, right? And this is the moment where it's like Moses gets scared. Why? Well, because he realized something. He realized, I'm not tripping out. This isn't a mushroom that I ate. This isn't from the heat where I'm overheating and seeing a mirage. He realizes this is truly God. And so fear comes over Moses and he begins to hide his face because he does not want to look God in the face because he's afraid that he might die on the spot. He's listening. He's in the presence of a holy God. And things have become, oh, so very real for him. And so he hides his face and he listens as God continues to speak. I want you to see what God says in verse 7 and 8 again. It says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into the good and spacious land a land flowing with milk and honey. We'll stop there. This is so cool to me as well because God is connecting the dots here for Moses. I mean, think about this. He's telling Moses, hey, I see my people still. I know exactly what they're going through. I know their hardships. I know their suffering. And guess what? I'm going to do something about it. That's what God's saying to Moses. I'm going to do something about it. And the next part is so cool what God says next because God knew that his people needed something and what they needed was hope. And so the very next thing that he says is I'm going to give them hope. And in verse 10, he shows what the hope is going to be. He says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. You want to talk about hope. That's, that's, that's hope. 
The hope is Moses. <laughs> the hope is Moses. I'm sending you. Go and literally take my people, the he Hebrews, the Egyptians. I want you to take the or the, the Israelites. I want you to take them out of Egypt. I mean, let that sink in for a moment. God is speaking directly to Moses, and he says, go, I am sending you. Moses sent here, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Who? Who did you tell to go? You're sending me? <laughs> Do you know who I am? And God says, yes, you. Let's look at the rest of the conversation next week, because we got to stop right here, Okay. We're going to continue to look at this conversation and unpack some things here for Moses. But for right now, what I need us to fully understand, okay, what I need us to fully get this week is this. Big influence starts with a small, obedient first step. I'll say that again because I want you to catch that. Big influence always starts with a small, obedient first step. Moses did not have all the details because God did not give him all the details. What God needed was for Moses to get moving in the right direction. God never gave Moses some signed contract that guaranteed his success on this mission. He never got that. Instead, God just asked Moses, hey, trust me. Trust in me. And begin walking from here, the desert, to there, Egypt. Go. And that small, obedient first step that Moses took, it had so much influence that it still affects us here today. Let that sink in. That's crazy. But it all started with the first step. Which brings me back to a few questions I think that we need to be wrestling with when it comes to looking at our own influence in our own lives. What small steps, what small, obedient next step do we need to be making? What relationships has God specifically put in front of you? What opportunities do you have to literally use your influence? See, God is not asking that we figure out the steps 9 through 10 right now. He's just asking us to trust us, trust him with the first step and to begin moving in his direction. Maybe your next step is simply to invite someone to join the Timbers family. Maybe your next step is to lead your family spiritually and not just physically. Maybe you need to share your story with a friend or you need to meet your neighbors for the first time. I don't know what your next step is, but I do know that what most likely, I do know what your most likely obstacle will be when you start to move in that direction. Because the truth of the matter is, when God gives a first step, there's always going to be an obstacle. And more than likely, that obstacle for you is going to be the same obstacle that it was for Moses. It's going to be your own excuses. The biggest obstacle we usually will face when it comes to using our influence for God is our own excuses. See, Moses, he had a glaring past. And he had so many excuses that we can't really hit them all in one talk. But yet God was still inviting Moses to be a part of a much greater story. And just like God is inviting, uh, invited Moses to be a part of a much greater story, I believe that God is inviting you to be a part of a greater story. And maybe you are not living for God. Maybe you have hurt and pain and, and tension in your life to the point where you're, you're feeling the heaviness of it. 
And you've actually cried out to God and you've told God to show himself to you, to make himself real because you need help. And just like God heard the cry and the suffering from the Hebrew people in Egypt, I believe that God heard your cry. I believe that God cares about you. And I believe that God is offering you hope, even when everything else feels oh so hopeless. So if you would like to say yes to him today, if you would like to experience that hope firsthand, I just want you to take a moment and I want you to pray this prayer with me. I just want you to say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. Forgive me for my sins. Jesus, come into my life. Show me your ways. Heal me and move me in your direction. In Jesus' mighty, powerful name, amen, amen. For all of us, though, I want us to know this, that we are all a little bit like Moses in one very special way. And the way is this. We have no idea, absolutely no idea, what God may have in store for our futures. We have no idea how God might want to use our influence in the future. He can use every single one of us in powerful, powerful ways, in much, much bigger ways than we could ever see ourselves be used. And so the cue that I want to give each of us this week is simply, let's take a, uh, let's take a small obedient step in the direction that God is leading us to. We got to listen. We're going to have to spend some time talking to him, but let's determine what that next step is. And let's take that small obedient step in the direction that God is leading. Because big influence always starts with a small first obedient step. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you see all that you know. We thank you that even when we're in hiding, you know where we are. You know us by name. You know the struggles that we face. You know the good, the bad. You know how we've been influenced by others in positive and negative ways. And you know our shortcomings. But yet, God, you've still invited us to be a part of your story. I pray, Father, for each of us listening today, whether we just gave our life to Christ, whether we've been walking with him for a long time, help us not underestimate what you can do through our influence. Let us use these relationships that you put in our life in powerful ways. Let us lead. Let our voices be heard. Let us use our influence in Jesus' mighty, powerful name. And everybody said, no matter where you are today, amen and amen.